Brother Duplessis. Greetings to the ministers and the saints and friends. God bless you all. Let us turn to St. Matthew chapter 19. St. Matthew chapter 19. Now I'll begin reading in the third verse. I want to explore with you tonight the hardness of the human heart. The hardness of the human heart. St. Matthew chapter 19, beginning at the third, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh? Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. What stinging words that came from Jesus. He could speak as as little baby girls, little tiny infants speak to their mothers. And he could thunder and send his words like forked lightning along the feet of those that he was accusing. He made it plain. And I want to talk to you about the hardness of the human heart. Shall we pray together? Father, in Jesus' name, we need your help. Without your help, we could do nothing, nothing at all, nothing at all. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, beloved, and please be seated. The heart's all you got that can deliver you safely to heaven. It's all you got that you can count on to make it. There's no other method, nor vehicle, nor means of transporting your soul from this life to peace in another world but by your heart.
blessed pure in heart, for they shall see God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's the only thing you got that can do it for you is your heart. And so the scriptures tell us to keep thine heart with all diligence. But let's talk about the hardness of the human heart. Please understand me clearly. I have no desire and no time allotted to discuss the questions of marriage, divorce, remarriage, adultery. This is utterly beside the point. I have no intention of even mentioning these matters. But I felt led of the Holy Ghost to choose this place because you get a view of hardness of a human heart. I don't know when this happened that we read about. Historically, I can't give you a date. I can't read to you where Moses, if you will bear me, where Moses changed the written law of God and set it aside, but he did. I don't know when. It had to be within his lifetime because Jesus said that Moses was the guy that did it. He put his finger on him and said Moses did that. Moses had heard the cry and the complaint of human misery, the oceans and the seas of despair, of human beings trying to make a life and make a living and go through life. He had heard men and their wives come and tell him of their distresses and of their problems. He had heard what was happening to the children. He had heard of the hatred of daughters for their mothers, the despising of sons for their fathers, the impatience of fathers for their sons, and the bitter cruelty going on between husbands and wives. He heard that, and 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 one day he just said, well, okay. And the Bible said, Jesus said he commanded he put out an edict. He commanded that, all right, all right, all right, all right. There's no way to manage you people. With what you got governing you in there, I just don't know anymore what to do. And so, a similar to the moment when he struck the stone, he just said, with the whole thing. Yeah. It just won't work on human beings. Yeah. And he, brother, sister, he literally set aside the law of God. He knew what God said. He is the author of the book of Genesis. It is his own hand that penned those words in Genesis where God said that a man shall leave his own mother and father and choose him one companion for life and they shall live together in love and harmony. They shall become one flesh 
as long as one, as long as they both live. Moses knew God meant that. He knew that's what God intended. He knew the divine mind lacking in no science and in no knowledge had said that it's one man and one woman until death. He knew that very well. But you see, he was governing men and women with hard hearts. And this is not the only time that the ruler of God's people ever deliberately set aside the law of God and ruled differently due to the hardness of the heart of us. There was a little old woman came to David one day wearing the black of mourning. She bowed herself down at her sovereign's feet. She was troubled. She was in despair and she was in grief. And he said, well, what is it, sister? She said, well, I had two boys. Only two children. He said, God help me raise them. My husband died when they were boys. And you know how boys are. There developed a hatred in the heart of one of the boys for the other. And in the midst of her motherly sob, she finally got the story out to King David, as he said in judgment. And she said, one of my boys rose up and slew the other. Sir, it was a bloody fight. Sir, there was blood and torn garments everywhere. And one of my boys killed his brother. He's dead. I buried him beside his daddy. And she said, my troubles are multiplied because the law of God said that this boy has got to die because he killed that one. And she said, the neighbors all around don't have no rain and they ain't got no crops. And they say, and the reason why is God is grieved because sin has not been avenged. And they're all at my house every day clawing at the door and yanking on the little doorknob. Bring him out here. The law of God said kill him. We are the avenger of the blood. written right here, ma'am. Open the door. Deliver him up to us. We're going to go by the Bible. And she came and said, I don't know what to do. If I give my other boy up, then my husband, he was such a godly and good and precious man, he'll have no memory among all God's people. And I, will ha I have come this far by grace that I have given up my husband and raised my boys. And then I walked away a little few days ago from the long narrow grave of my other son and now they want to come and take this boy and kill him and that's what the book said that's what Moses said that's what the law said but if you do I won't have no life left I won't want to live 
There isn't anything sweet enough that can ever give me another breath. Must I do it? Must I go now and bury this other son hanged on a tree because he killed my other boy? And David, who was the king, a man with God's own heart, he said, no, we won't kill your boy. And he said this tremendously dangerous statement. He said, and if your neighbors give you any trouble, tell them to come see me. I will be responsible for setting aside the law of God. Where is that ignorant thing that goes around popping off? You can show it to me in the Bible, I'll do it. Your pastor doesn't have to show it to you in the Bible. He is interpreter of life. He is a preserver of truth. And the Bible said to honor them who rule well. There's some things you just can't spell out that pi r square equals, and the circumference of a circle equals this, that, and the other. There's some things you just can't spit out a dry formula you found in the back of a musty book. There are sometimes that a man of God's got to go before God and to preserve life and let life continue to have meaning. A man of God's own ruling. Now, I'm not here to engage Bible discussion. I'm no theologian. I'm merely just a small town pastor of a little group of people. That's all I'll ever be. What I can read. And that I read. That the hardness of the human heart is one of the wonders of the world. I could pass to Revelation 16 and 10 and 11, I believe it will, it won't take a moment, and show you that no amount of education that comes to this world, no amount of degrees given to men, bachelor degrees, master's degrees, doctorates, advanced degrees, no amount of social training, no amount of good civilization is going to ever change that hardness of the human heart. I'm going to read to you something that is not going to occur until I'm going to be well gone from this world. It may not happen for a hundred years or a thousand years. I don't know. But I'm going to show you out of your Bible way down into time that it's never going to get any better. The hardness of humanity's heart. It's not going to improve with education. Communism's not going to help it. Capitalism's not going to help it. The Democrats can't touch it. The Republicans can't bless it. It's going to get much more severe. In Revelation 13 and uh, Revelation 16, 10 and 11, hear these fearful words, fearful words. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. It's not going to get any better. 
I have reached back so far into antiquity to the disturbance of Moses when he saw it just ain't going to work. That's all. Yeah. And he did. He gave a commandment that a man in certain circumstances would just have to say, well, okay, I'm whipped, I'm bushed, I'm beat, I'm headed. I see no answer. There isn't any hope. I, it's impossible for me to have any feeling for you anymore. I don't want these children to mine. I'm so mixed up. I'm so befuddled. I'm so distressed. I want to go away forever and never be seen again. My life is one more hell in earth. I don't want them anymore. Yeah. And Moses had heard that so many times. He said, well, in cases, I'm, I know what God said, but I'm going to give a commandment. That you put it in writing and you do it according to these laws, but you give her a writing of divorcement and put her away. And centuries later, the Jews cornered Jesus. Oh, how they would love to append anything on him. Oh, how they would love to have embarrassed the king of glory. Oh, they eagerly wanted to bite him. They wanted to strike him. Their rattlers were rattling all up and down the street as he walked by with truth on his lips. And they said, now we got him. And they said, hey, 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 Nazarene, we want to ask you a question, you. What about this divorce business? Sir? Can a man divorce his wife for every cause? And he who was true went right straight back to the original. And he said it was never meant to be that there should ever in this world of mankind ever be the sad spectacle of a man leaving his nest and his home and his wife's bosom and go away in hatred. Never meant to be that way. God never wanted. God never was willing for that. But he said, Moses, for the hardness of your heart, Now I will pause to give you a little chalk of theology in telling you there may be some vile heart here that would hear my preaching wrong. And you might go away and say, well, sure, the Bible. I heard that man preach in the camp meeting that uh, incompatibility was grounds for divorce. You fool. Right. I want to tell you that like Moses' baptism was done away with Moses' law was done away with. And we're back on the track again. Let me tell you, if you've got the Holy Ghost in your heart, you've got all you need to soften that heart. And you can live in peace and enjoy and re rejoice with the wife of your youth and live out a holy, good, productive life and raise children for the glory of God. Like Moses' baptism was put away by the baptism of John, this difficulty is solved in that Moses' law is fulfilled in the truth. And we're back to what Jesus said. That from the beginning was not ever meant to be. And I'll leave the rest of it to your scholarship of the word of God. I'm just wanting to talk to you about the hardness of the human heart. What I'm working on is this, that there are people who say, if I was so wrong, if I got to have the Holy Ghost like all that bunch down there, if I got to have long hair if I'm a lady, I got to quit my cigarettes, if I got to live like that bunch, 
why don't I feel that in my heart? Because your heart is stone. There's all kind of people who are saying, if God wants me to have a Holy Ghost, he'll give it to me. All kind of people saying, well, if they were right and I was wrong, don't you know that I'd feel that I was wrong? No, you never would feel you're wrong. A heart of strong, stout stone cannot feel. And unless you're willing to take the preaching of the gospel as your guide, you'll go right on into hell. Protesting every step of the way. I don't have to talk in tongues. I don't have to have the Holy Ghost. I don't have to believe in one God. I don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name. If that was all true, I'd feel it right in here. You're lying. Your heart has deceived you. Oh, you've got to be born again of water and of the Spirit. You've got to get the Holy Ghost. And you'll talk with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance when you get it. Leviticus 5 and 17. Y'all uh, be patient with this poor preacher tonight. I, I just want to go slow. I got a burden, got a message. I believe I got one from God. The book of Leviticus, chapter 5. Oh, the heart. Do you yet, you're beginning to feel now, aren't you, the hardness. Do you know it is a wonder that any one of us in this room tonight is saved? I said it's a godly wonder because we are all possessors and governed and we begin our life being governed by hearts of stone. Unreasonable, untractable, unteachable hearts. But oh, the grace of Jesus Christ that came to us and drew us despite our terrible handicap. Oh, my God, it's a wonder that any of us, such a wonder we ought to ever, 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 ever more praise the Lord that we are the elect of his precious grace. How wonderful. How marvelous of his grace that he drew us over all the barricades we came from and brought us this far. Many compliments to his skill and his ability and his marvelous grace that we are in the church of the beloved. It's a miracle. Leviticus chapter 5. This message has been coming to me all day. I got stuff written down there all over around. I don't even know what I'm, where I'm looking at. Leviticus 5 and 17. And if a soul sin and commit any of these things, 
which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord. Though he wist it not, yet is he guilty and shall bear his iniquity. That's the way God looks at it. And he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance, wherein he erred and wist it not, and it shall be forgiven him. You know, this is a permissive society that people say, well, do your thing, honey. Or just if it feels good, do it, child. And they are saying in situation ethics that it's all right, just do what you feel like doing. Just do your thing. And uh, they just feel like that if they are not convicted and they are not condemned over what they're doing, that really um, there isn't any sin in it. But I'm telling you, that God up yonder said that if any soul in the earth did anything that was forbidden in this Bible, that he was guilty. Whether or not he knew it or felt it, God said he's guilty. I'm going to require sacrifice of him. Tell him to go get him a ram and bring it unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and let the priest bring him here and get his sins forgiven. It's wrong. Know it or not. There is no doubt that all the heathen world is lost. That's the first question I asked when I came into religion is now that I'm saved, I want to know about other people. Are they saved or not? You do understand, don't you, that if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In Romans, we are told that they that live without law, they that never heard law, they'll perish without the law. And those who did hear the law and did not obey it, they'll perish with the law. Jesus Christ said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There's no exemption. Every child born of the womb of a woman is on his way to eternal punishment. Everybody, whether they know it or whether they feel it or whether they're even concerned or ever give it a thought. Until you're born again of water and of the Spirit, sir, you are lost, lost, lost. Lost. I say lost. Somebody said, yeah, but they didn't know about it. I'm so sorry they did not know. It grieves me. But they're lost. It is said in God's word that they who died without the law, they who live without ever hearing the gospel, the millions of China, the busy Japanese, the industrious Turks, the hard Russian, the sentimental Latin countries, everybody down there that doesn't hear this gospel and obey this gospel is lost. Whether he knows it or not. I just brought that point to tell you that because you don't feel bad about a thing doesn't mean that you're justified. 
Just because you don't have a purple conscience, just because you don't sit in remorse and grieve quiet tears in your rocking chair and say, I wish to God I had not done it, that don't mean that you're innocent. You know, people can harden that heart until they get so hard that God himself can't even cause them to blush and repent. Oh, the hardness, the hardness, the hardness of the human heart. You don't believe what I'm telling you? You just get a picture of this, that this is a box. Inside that box there are cores of brass and copper tubes, like in a radiator core. There's an orifice here, an opening there, and one in the bottom. And in a radiator, when you put water in the top, it goes and finds its way through all those coils, then goes out the bottom and cools the jacket of the motor. It takes a little bit of pressure to get the water past all those L's pass all those U's, pass all those turns. And so an automobile needs a water pump. But you know, to get the word of God into the ear of man and then get it through all the maze of a personality and then get it into a heart, what a miracle. So the scripture said to give them devil honor who labor in the Word. One attorney told me one time, a, a lovely man, so intelligent, so graceful, so sociable. He said, well, Brother Free, no. He said, I, I can't believe your brand of religion at all because of the way you deliver the man. He said, look, he said, preacher, truth when I stand before a jury to plead a case, he said, truth is like a sheet metal screw. You just simply turn it, and it pulls itself in. But he said, the way you do, he said, you scream, you yell, you intimidate, you stir memories, you work on emotions, you reason, you pull. He said, I even saw you lay down to demonstrate a point. He said, what you've got can't be true if it takes that much pressure to get it through. Now, that's good logic, but that's altogether wrong. You know, you can't get STP through the butt of an oak log. You can blow on it, spit on it, or do a heebie-jeebie. It ain't going through. It'll go through a can. It'll go through a tube. But it won't go through the butt of an oak log. As slick and as greasy as it is. <laughs> oh, the hardness of the human heart! You can take this little box I was talking about and put A from the mouth of the preacher to the ear of the hearer. And in sanctified hearts, it comes out hey. But to others, you can speak the same thing. You say, hey. 
SL minus T. The Bible tells us at the baptism of Jesus that there were some who said, Oh, thunder, better go get the clothes in. Yeah. Others said, No, it wasn't the thunder. I heard somebody holler back there. Yeah. But another one who had a clean heart said, Oh, I heard what it said. It said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But those with hardened hearts got nothing of the truth. They understood nothing of the meaning of the utterance. They didn't know. They couldn't tell. They couldn't guess. They were at total loss to know what was said by the sound. Some said it thundered. But somebody heard the voice of God. It is a wonder. It is a wonder that any one of us in this room ever got this far, then let us give the credit to the Holy Ghost. Jesus said if the Spirit of God don't draw a man, he never will get here. Somewhere he's going to get hung up in that maze of tubes. Somewhere in his heredity, somewhere in his background, somewhere in his angers, somewhere in his fears, somewhere in his needs, somewhere in his unbelief, he's going to get hung up. He can't get it. He can't receive it. It cannot come to him except the Spirit get in there and rod that thing out. In 1 John 3 and 20, he said, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. If our heart condemn us, you've had it. If when you sit down, your heart begins to turn damp and you're heavy and you say, Oh, I am so ashamed of what I have done. Oh, I'm so misput at all this. Oh, I've done so wrong. If your heart tells you that, the Bible said God is greater than our heart. That is to say, if you can get a little inkling that maybe you have missed the mark, if you can think, maybe, it could be, it might be, that I, you know, if I've done anything wrong, if I've said anything offensive, if I've... Uh, if I've come up short, if you can feel that much of it with this terrible meter that's in your heart, you ought to look up and say, Oh God, oh God, thou who seest in truth, reveal my heart to me. I've got a lying meter in my car. I'm glad I found it out. And that thing repulses me. It's my gasoline meter. I was in Dallas on business, and I had my family with me. It was 11 o'clock at night. And my wife said, dear, are you going to buy gasoline? I said, yes, but I believe that I'll just wait until in the morning because somebody will, if I buy it now, I'll have to buy a full tank and somebody will get it from motel. And she said, that's right. So we drove on to the Stimmons Freeway, six lanes this way, six lanes that way. And uh, it just coughed out. I still had a quarter of a tank. 
I could have said, you miserable shit on You cheat. You ugly, naughty, red rascal of a Chevrolet. I've got gas and you're going to go. So help me, God, you're going to go. You will not fail me like this. I could have spurred him in the back quarter panel and could have slapped him across the hood and said, you're going to go because the gauge said I still got a quarter of a tank. But if it hadn't been my CB radio, I'd have sat right there till noon the next day. Six lanes of traffic. Woo, 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 woo. My poor little baby's eyes got about that big around. My wife was praying. Oh, God. Right on top of the Trinity River Bridge, Stimmons Freeway, downtown Dallas. That lying gizzard bait. I don't trust it no more. It's a lying meter. It ain't right. I did the same thing with a Rambler one time. It had one of those little idiot lights on it for the oil. Well, that's what it's there for, to tell you if there's some malfunction in the oil. And I drove it down here, and Caraway told me that, uh, <laughs> he said, that thing won't turn on until the pressure goes down to three pounds. Said, you burnt your motor up. <laughs> really, that happened. Idiot lights. Idiot lights. That's what the mechanics call them. I don't pay. I tell you, when that gasoline gauge in my car shows a quarter of a tank, I have utterly no confidence that it means it. It may. But what if it ain't? All right. It's just some is and some ain't. Maybe and maybe ain't. Oh, beloved, hear me. Hear the preaching of God's word. You got one of them idiot lights in yours in you. And that's the heart. Oh, sinner, if you could be, if you could understand that. If you could know that you better not wait until you feel great guilt and lightning night strikes of your need. Brother, when you ever get one chance at a Pentecostal altar, you better hit it. If you ever feel one pull of the Spirit of God, you better call. You better seek Him while He may be found and call upon Him while He's near. Because that heart in you cannot be relied on. That heart will tell you in your dying moment that you can seek God in a more convenient time. That heart will tell you that tomorrow night will be a better night than tonight. The heart is a lying gauge. For Jeremiah has said the heart of man is desperately wicked. And who can know it? Desperately wicked. Once when I was in a meeting in Houston, I read in the Houston Chronicle about the discovery of a murderer who had come there from Oklahoma. This is his story. In a fit of anger and rage, he had taken the wrench of the tire tool and had beaten his wife and two daughters to death. I'm going to see that just a minute. I wouldn't ask you to tear long at that scene, but just look. He took a tire tool and beat to death his wife and two teenage daughters. He fled. 
Now a gentleman came to the door of a widow in Houston who also had two teenage daughters and an upstairs garage apartment for rent. And this nice looking composed gentleman came up and said that he had seen the ad and he would like to examine the apartment, please. The lady showed it to him. And in her heart, she wished that such a strong, capable man would rent that apartment. He said he had a job in Houston and would be there a few weeks. And she said in her heart, I wish that he would take it. He is strong and he is mannerly. He is proper. And uh, I hope he takes it. He asked the price. She said so. He said, I'll take it. He gave her the money for the rent in advance. And they were glad. It wasn't long until that man had an invitation to supper with this widow and her lovely daughters. It wasn't long until, in a proper way, they were going out different places looking over the sights of Houston. He was alone. He said his family was back in Wyoming and he would be there just a little while. And one morning, about daybreak, as this lady came down to put the coffee pot on to get ready to dress for her work, would you believe her front door opened like that and a detective stepped in with a drawn gun? And he said to her, please fall. And she fell by the window. He came over there and showed her his identification and said, do not move until I come back in person. You stay right there on that floor. And he whispered to her and said, where are the girls? And she told him what room the girls were in. And other uniformed men slipped in with drawn guns. And they went and laid their bodies down at the door where these teenage girls were living. And then the tough boys went up in that garage apartment and got him. There was some hollering and, and all that. And then that woman obediently laying down by that bay window. The policeman came back and said, I am so sorry to cause such a terrible emotional upset at the beginning of your day. But this man is wanted for murder in Oklahoma City. He clubbed to death his own wife and two teenage daughters. You know, everything that seems like it is just may not be. It's hard to know. Some have entertained angels unawares by taking in strangers, and others lost their lives foolishly. Desperately wicked, deceitful, who can know it? And David cried out in the Psalms. He said, who can, who can know the error of his ways? I want to go on deeper now in the text of Scripture. Oh. When I speak of the hardness of the heart, I do not mean merely the surface as if it's impenetrable with a needle or with a knife, but hard to do anything with, hard to work. Hard to, to help. Stay with me just a little bit. I, I, I'm not, if I turn you loose yet, you won't see what I'm talking about. Will you do that? 
You are gentle and you are patient and you are kind. And I, I want to tell you that I appreciate your great good manners to a preacher. I guess I'd better read it. You might not think the Bible said this, but it does. In Jeremiah 6 and 15, it really does say that. I've heard people read such astonishing things out of the Bible. I wished I had my Bible to see if it said that. You have the same privilege if you want to look at Jeremiah 6 and 15. Were they ashamed? Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay. They were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. At that time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. He is saying in Jeremiah's time, he said, there are people who have committed abominable things. And he says to Jeremiah, I just want to ask you, could they feel remorse? Could they blush? Were they ashamed? And God said, no, not at all. Not at all. No shame, no vestige of shame, no shape of shame, no color of shame. No movement of shame. No beat of shame. They were not ashamed at all. Though they had done and done those things. Yeah. Amen. The word colorful. It has great meaning. It means that which is very detestable. It means that which is hateful. In Jeremiah 44 and 4, God said to the nation, I pled with you, don't do this abominable thing. And he said, you turn right around and worship false gods. Me begging you, don't do this abominable thing. Hateful, terrible, untasteful. God said people with a heart of stone, a hard human heart, could do things that were absolutely pukefied in the sight of God, and yet they would not be ashamed of Women who can't blush. Boy, there is not anything in this world more filthy mouth than a woman that's beard up. You take on a dance hall or on a beer joint, you take a woman that's already liquored up and let that woman become angry. You ain't never heard no cussing in your life like you can hear from a woman that's beard up. You, you never heard such vile vulgarity. You never heard such horrible stuff. You never saw such a display of vile behavior. Please understand me now. Maybe I, I'm, if I read the gauges on this crowd tonight, I am not anti-woman. Please understand me. I mean to say nothing against the weaker parasites. I'm just telling you that there's such a thing of having a heart in you that you can do despicable, embarrassing things and just say, I don't give a you-know-what and kiss my foot and get out. You know there's a way to have a spirit like that and a heart in you that no matter what you do, nobody can bring you to tall. Nobody can cause you to feel repentance. Right. I asked J.T. Pugh one time, there was a group of people in his church that were famous, 
historically famous in Pentecost. I said, Brother Pugh, how about them old men? Am I reaching to them? Am I, am, I, am I being a blessing to them in this meeting? He turned to me with his usual candor and said, Brother Free, you can't hurt those old fellows, and you can't help those old men. He said, let's get on with the work of God. I'd hate to have a man with a preaching ability of Brother Duplessis to come to my place and him get a burden for a bunch of old men. If I had them, which I don't, but if I did in my church, and I'd, I'd hate to have the knowledge. I'd say, if Brother Duplessis asked do you think I'm helping? Do you think I'm going to help save these men you love? you think there's any hope? I'd hate to have to say, Brother Duplessis, you can't help them and you can't hurt them. They can't be made to blush. But that's what he told me. And I bear him witness he told the truth. On another occasion, he asked me about somebody, and I said, well, they're just not, uh, just not responding, Brother Pugh. He said, you know, Brother Free, there are some people who can never in their lifetime muster the spiritual ability to repent. That's true. There are some people who can't repent. There are some people who cannot be disturbed. There are some people who cannot feel conviction. Oh, sinner, let me tell you, you ought not to have your mind on hot dog. It ought to be on Holy Ghost. Oh, sinner, you ought not to have your mind on a Saturday night playing tomorrow night. You need to have your mind on getting right with God and getting ready for another world. But there's some people who have so abused the heart that they cannot repent. Paul wrote to another preacher, to Timothy, and he spoke of those who have seared their conscience with a hot iron. I've only seen that done, actually, was a witness to it once. The veterinarian operated on an animal I had and we could not make the bleeding stop. We kept the animal standing in the chute and it was hot summertime. Brother Wheeler was there, our missionary in the Philippines. That animal just bled right along. I said, Dr. Prince, what are you going to do? Well, he said, it stopped a minute. It did not. It filled the bottom of that squeeze chute. The blood kept coming. That calf opened its mouth and its tongue came out. It began to manifest weakness. Its breathing began to come labored. I said, Dr. Prince, something's going to have to be done to that calf. He said, well, I've got some powders here. I'm going to try alum. So he squeezed alum on the surgical opening. It, it didn't stop. It, it helped, but it didn't stop. He lit up a cigar and he said, if that don't work, he said, I know what will. I said, maybe it'll work. We waited, and the blood kept coming. He said, all right, Brother Free, open that chute out. And said, I'm going to rope that animal. And said, you be out of the way when I do. Brother Wheeler was standing over by the barn. He roped that animal. That calf came out of there with what little strength he had left. He said, all right, now, Wheeler, you get him by the belly and pull him up. And Brother Wheeler was a strong man. He saw it, and both of us, we finally threw that calf. It was a heavy, big calf. And we got him down, the veterinarian tied him and got him foul, so that poor calf, all he could do was a low, painful groan. And he kept bleeding. 
He said, now, preacher, go get some matches. And I ran to the house, and I came back with matches, and I happened to think to bring some charcoal lighters. He said, now build a fire as quick as you can. And we built a fire. He looked around and looked around. He said, you got to get me a piece of iron. I said, I'm going to, um, a word he had for it, I don't know what it is, but he's going to stop that bleeding by the heat of that iron. I found him a piece of pipe with an elbow on it. He said, that'll do, as quickly as you can, heat it. And uh, he chewed on his cigar and paced back and forth, and that calf laid there with his eyes bowled back, and the blood just kept coming, kept coming. After a while, he reached in his pickup, and he got him a glove, and he grabbed a hold of that piece of three-quarter inch pipe with an elbow on it, just the elbow. And he took that piece of red-hot pipe, and he worked it back and forth on that surgical opening. And that calf, oh God, I trembled. I, I, that was, that calf's already in, it, in, in, in the deep freeze. He's gone, but I feel today what maybe that poor animal felt. And the smoke rose in that calf bellowed, but it quit bleeding. He said, hold him down here now another 30 minutes, let's be sure. And when we let him up, he said, put him back in the pen, hold him overnight, see if it holds. And that's what human beings do to themselves. Can you imagine a bleeding conscience? A conscience that has sought to register protest a conscience that's told you Sunday night after Sunday night after Sunday night, you're going to be lost, you're going to be lost, you're going to be lost. You're an influence against your sons and daughters. If you'd live for God and pay your tithes and love that preacher, those children get saved, but you're, you're wasting the time away. You're away. You know, conscience has been so abused until men leave tracks of blood everywhere they go, on the work, in the job, everywhere they go, they just leave tracks of blood. Oh, the pain and the abuse and the misuse you put your conscience to, backslider and sinner. Bleeding conscience. So they sear their conscience to stop the bleeding and the pain. Oh, it's a wonder of divine grace that a one of us in this house tonight is saved. Considering the hardness, the impenetrable hardness of the human heart. The Bible said they have done a abominable things, repulsive. And said, did they blush? Were they able to be ashamed? And God said, no, not at all. And I know it's uh, 15 minutes after 10, but I'm going to take a crack that let it be heard across Pentecost. And you tell them I said it. You know, we're living in a day when Pentecost is accepting such things as pantsuits for women. I'm not talking about what the Episcopalians and Presbyterians do. They're lost and without gospel and without truth. I'm talking about what Pentecostal people accept. It is still written in Deuteronomy 26 and 5 that it is an abominable thing unto God for a man to wear clothing or apparel that appeals to women. 
or that which is customary for men, for women to wear, that is an abomination to God. And are they ashamed and are they blushed? No, they tell you that they've gone on deeper in grace. They tell you they're getting away from that old-time constricted Pentecost. The name of the game is lots of people and lots of money. People and money, my eye. That's not the way you build an apostolic church. When Jesus came into the temple, there was plenty of people in there and plenty of money, bowls full of money, buckets full of money, tables full of money, and he drove the whole pushing caboodle out. He did not want people and money. tell you something, beloved, you that attended this camp meeting. When I talk to you about old-time Bible holiness, I'm not talking about a brand a bit better than liberal Pentecost. I'm talking about the only thing in God's world that's going to save your soul because without holiness, no man shall see God. No man shall see God. I said when I'm talking about apostolic holiness, I am not talking about a superior branch of Pentecost. I'm talking about the only thing in God's world that's going to save one human being. Oh, yes, the style now is a seductive little style for ladies to wear tight-fit knitting on the tops. And then, would you believe it, wear a pair of overalls beneath that. If there's anything in this world that pertains to the clothing of men, it's overall. That's what boilermakers wear. That's what pipe fitters and ship fitters wear. That's what potato farmers wear. That's what dairymen wear. And in this day they put women in overalls. And are they ashamed? When they have committed abomination, do they bless? God said, no, not at all. I came by a Trinitarian church, claim the Holy Ghost, claim talking in tongues, claim healing, claim miracles, claim everything like that. And I came by and watched them go in the house of God in women's, in pantsuits with legs, trousers, brother, and with coats fitted like men. And you wait, after a while, they'll get them a pocketbook and they'll get them a necktie because they cannot blush. The heart of man is so hard. And that's all you've got to be saved with is your heart. And God said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it proceed the issues of life and death. Abominable things, the Bible said, and yet they were not able to blush. It's because they're going by the heart. You can't pay no mind to that heart that's within you. Mm -mm. You can't pay any mind to that heart. Okay, I see a good place to quit. I heard somebody say you could done that hour and 15 minutes ago. Got something wrote down that says over. I think I'm supposed to turn the page over. Oh, yeah, I got it. 
Must be Ezekiel 36. Looks like it is. You preachers already know what that said, don't you? On the way to save, I, I have sought to describe such a wide field of human feelings and emotions that all of us would know that we ourselves are victims of hardness of heart. You ain't no different than anybody else you ever met, boy. You tie your shoes just like the guy down the block does. You like taters and gravy like everybody else does. And I'm telling you, beloved, you must not trust the heart. Paul said, I don't feel condemned, but I'm not thereby justified. You know, you can be just as wrong as the day is long and not be aware of it. But there's an answer. Thanks be unto God for his wonderful grace. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. A new heart also will I give you. Oh, that sounds good to me. If I'm figuring on going to heaven, if I'm going to need a heart that A comes out A, if I'm going to need a heart that will believe unto salvation, unto righteousness, it sounds good to me I get a new one. A little girl, it said, came with her paper all full of mistakes and colored out of the lines, and she said to the teacher, could I have another paper? Ever feel that way? Could I get another? Thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for old-time Pentecostal altar balling sessions, old-time mourners benches. That's where you get a new sheet. You can come start over, dear. You can come start over. I'm telling you, you can actually get the best of that old fellow that's you. That guy that's done you so many things. You know who your worst enemy is. It's you. You know the source of your confusion. It's the inner person. Look, look, look what God promised you. You don't have to keep on knocking your nuts on everything you turn to. You don't have to keep on going on with a groveling dry tongue in your life. Life can begin for you. Peace, joy, pleasure, safety hope of heaven goodness can come to you he said this a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh <laughs> and I'll give you an heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them the old darky, when he was a slave, took the hands of the clock to the watchmaker and complained. He said, I can't, I never get up on the morning. Fix it this clock. And the watchmaker said, well, I don't need these hands. What I need is the inside. I need what's behind the face. Yeah. And isn't that what you need, backslider? So I tried it. Well, look, you get your heart right. right. You get willing to obey the gospel. You get willing to do what your pastor tells you to do. You get willing to live like these good old time saints of God do. You live for God, be in church every time the lights are turned on and cheerfully give your tithes to God and worship God. You can make it. Yes, you can. And if you still say, but I can't, it's that lion heart talking again. 
You can make it. You can be saved. You can go free. God said, I'll take that old stony heart out. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. Let's all stand. Glory, 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 glory. This is Friday night and the last night of this camp meeting. You, you, you never have seen a time better to get the Holy Ghost than tonight. I don't believe you have. Just look at these dedicated preachers of the gospel, the elect of God, selected from among so many whom he could have chosen, but he chose these. They're here to help you. I feel like when I attempt a new project, I feel like the dumbest human being on this continent. And if somebody can just stand there by me and show me, it's such a comfort, such a help. You ever feel that way? And when you've got something so important like getting rid of your miseries, getting rid of your sins, getting rid of your heartaches, coming up out of that rut, ain't you had enough bitterness? Haven't you spit till your mouth's dry long enough? Haven't you spent so many restless nights turning like a hinge on your bed without God and without hope? Well, look. Look at the help that's here. When have you seen a crowd? Well, when did you feel what you felt when Elder Bean and his group were singing? All oh, the holiness of the song and the choir and all these godly good preachers here. You ain't going to never find that much help. See, if you wait till you get pinned beneath the steel of an automobile, you may not have no help. You may not have a gray-haired old darky man to come help you get out of the flames. But tonight, oh, how much help you've got. It's revival time. It's the tabernacle of God and friends and preachers and saints are here. It's the best time you ever had to get it. And so come right now while the music plays. Come and get it. Lucky, lucky you that you'd have such an occasion and such a chance. Thank God. Thank God. Sure, come on. Just keep coming all over this tabernacle tonight. Come on. I wonder how many there are. God bless you. Come on. Is there someone beside her that should come? Soul, is there... Are you tired of sin? You want to quit hurting? You want to be right? You want to be true? This is camp meeting. It's a time to seek God right now. Oh, oh I feel it all through this house, the pull of the people. If you're in the balcony, it wouldn't take you but a minute to get down here, and you'd be so glad you did. You'd be so glad you... Close the books on sin and despair and loss. Took up your cross and followed him. That's it. Come on. That's it. That's what you want to do. You'll be glad you did. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
Better let God work on that heart, friend, while there's some help here. As hard as it is to get your heart to obey God while you got help, you better come on now. It's simple what I'm trying to get you to do. It's what I did last week. My car has quite a few miles on it and I've got several thousand miles to drive in the next 10 weeks. I just took it to the garage and said, put on all new hoses and all new belts. I didn't want to be stopped with my family and others out in a far distant place where some robber might overtake us. A few dollars worth of new hoses ain't gonna break me and I'm ready, I'm prepared. Oh, but when you consider the, the, the road you're going to travel and the dangers all around you on every side, it'd be so easy now while God's Spirit is seriously appealing to you, now would be the time. Wouldn't that be good for you to do that? Do it now. Do it now. I know you're wise enough to do it. If you can just get that old heart in you, if one time you can make that old heart that's going to condemn you, if one time you can make it serve you and come and pray, God will forgive you. God will save you. All right, while we sing, come on now. Seek the Lord. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Oh. 